This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Life podcast. I am so excited because So it is, as you know, we share stories here and um, stories come from kind of all walks of life and all different things. And sometimes we get to see that the trajectory of a story just has like the best trajectory in my opinion, and it just keeps going and all the cool things. So I am here with one of our first ever certified coaches, Martha, welcome. Thank you, Annie. I'm so excited. So good to have you here. And it's so cool because we're going to get to hear your story from, you know, not even knowing who this naked mind was all the way through becoming a certified coach, but really personally your alcohol story too, which is obviously the whole point of this podcast is to make each other feel um, just understood and so much less alone in, in sharing our story. So thank you for being here. And why don't you just kind of back us up to the very beginning? So take me back to where it all started for you. Okay, well, I was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I think it's, it's hard to imagine a city that's more identified with alcohol and partying than New Orleans. I mean, right. just from its inception, from the founding of the city in the early 1700s, this is just a, kind of a crazy cocktail of a city that was um, very inhospitable terrain, swampy, um, deadly mosquitoes, hurricanes, heat and humidity. And I think, you know, maybe out, born out of that was just this spirit of survival and live each day like there's no tomorrow or something. But um, it is a city that's really synonymous with alcohol and partying and um, the, you know, laissez les bon temps rouler, let the good times roll. Um, Mardi Gras is the big tradition. And that is a big event, a big blowout party where you're doing all the things and blowing it out because the next day is Lent when you give it all up. And that's the whole purpose behind Mardi Gras. So, you know, really growing up in that culture and it's a culture that's um, just huge on hospitality. So there's always a huge spread of food and there's always music in the air and the alcohol is always flowing. So that's certainly the backdrop that I grew up in. I remember as a very young child, my parents had taught us how to make drinks for them, how to make mixed drinks. So I have very vivid memories of their bar, which I thought was very cool with all its shiny implements and tools and jiggers. And this was the um, early to mid seventies, but they probably had some fifties and sixties kind of, you know, ice crushers and you know all the implements and things i remember making drinks um i remember uh, that we would go out on a family bike ride sometimes maybe after the kids were fed something like that and we would we're on our trikes and big wheels and my parents absolutely had a cocktail in their hand and we would run into other neighbors and they absolutely had a cocktail in their hand so very much the culture and um I also have vivid memories of, in my family, we left not cookies and milk for Santa, but cookies and a scotch and soda. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Which I thought was just normal. And, you know, you just start comparing. That's one of the ways that I think I realized that there was something fishy about this Santa Claus story because... Other houses maybe didn't leave (laughs) scotch and soda, and that always was curious to me. But then later, as a high schooler and young adult, I know that I thought that story was hilarious. That's what I believe, that that was just, um, you know, a funny indication of what what life was like in a city like New Orleans. Um, And then high school... The, with this laissez-faire attitude, high school was, the, the attitude toward underage drinking was certainly very lax. And the drinking age was 18. We were, um, it was very easy to get an, a fake ID. 
and we were really able to bar hop as high school students. Um, again, I thought that was normal. Yeah, I didn't realize I the same thing. It's funny because my upbringing was in Aspen, and I mean, it just had this weird. It's like this weird pocket, but I remember just lots of fake IDs. It's so interesting. Absolutely, and there was a very popular um, chain of um, kind of a liquor place, a bar called Daiquiri's, and they sold these incredibly potent daiquiris in, you know, a jillion flavors. It was like a Baskin and Robbins for daiquiris though. Really strong, really big styrofoam cups. And some of the outlets had a drive-through window. So just this, you know, crazy culture where you could drive through and get daiquiris as a teenager. Um, so um, then moving on to college, um, I went to a, a, the UNC Chapel Hill, so a Southeast big university that kind of bragged about its reputation being a beer capital of the country. <laughs> and I laugh about that now too, because I've listened to your podcast and absolutely so many people come on and say something to the same effect, that their school was the beer capital um, so, you know, we all thought that, but it obviously speaks a lot to how prevalent drinking culture is in college, that's for sure. Um, I know, I remember that, that some of us that had gone from New Orleans to UNC felt a kind of, um, I think, anyway, I should speak for myself, a little bit of a superiority. We know how to drink. We are professionals because we've, we've grown up with this in New Orleans. And these other kids that are meeting alcohol for the first time, they are total amateurs. Um, so, and of course that was not at all true. We were just as you know, messy and sloppy, but somehow we definitely thought that we had the leg up. Um, and um, you know, just the, the culture of drinking, um, it wasn't every night, but it was certainly, multiple nights a week and weekends were, um, you know, really big. And it absolutely was the sport. I'm trying, I was trying to think about what else did I like to do in college? And I can't think of anything other than studying. It, it was the sport of choice. And I never, I know I never questioned that. None of my friends were questioning that or um, you know, just thinking back, I, I wasn't going hiking. I wasn't, you know, doing, pursuing other interests. That was, that was the uh, recreation for sure. Um, so, you know, and just the blackouts, that was something that was normal, normalized and getting together the day after and piecing together the night, that was the norm. Um, so after college, I moved back to New Orleans and I enjoyed being sort of the um, cruise director for my friends. I was always really can social. <laughs> um, you know, I was a social one and loved being, and this is a recurring theme through the story. So I, I really liked being the one that knew what was going on and what, what bands are playing where or what bars have, you know, what kind of deal on, um, you know, ladies nights and all of that three for one. I was thinking about that recently. That used to be a thing three for one. I just can't even imagine. Um, so at this time I was doing fundraising. Um, I was working in marketing for a museum and did some fundraising events with Chef Emeril Lagasse. And so I was just beginning to get more involved in the food world. And around this time met my husband who was in the music industry. And he had a big you know, expense account and even trade with restaurants. So we're spending time in restaurants, drinking more wine, getting to know wine. And um, we, we were married in New Orleans, moved to California, and we were first in Southern California where I was working for Food Network Chefs. And then we moved to Napa Valley, 
And we had this crazy dream to, to um, found a winery. And it was, a, for us, it was a matter of just thinking, daydreaming and scheming. What kind of life do we want to have? What kind of life do we want to lead? And we both had had really interesting jobs, but there was this feeling of wanting to go create something of our own, something creative, something that was that we could feel really passionate about. And um, we, you know, we didn't have money. We didn't have vineyards in our family. Neither of us had an enology degree or, you know, anything um, or any kind of training. Um, and we did go and do it, um, you know, somewhat <laughs> miraculously, sort of like we, you know, we're just naive enough and um, determined enough, I guess. Um, we, we found a great winemaker who took us under his wing and really um, introduced us to all kinds of things. My husband took over as the winemaker and um, our, you know, our very first wines did really well and were in the great restaurants like French Laundry and um, in thinking about what got us into it or what we loved, it, for me, it was really all about the people. I loved um, the people that I was meeting. It felt like the wine industry was really filled with people who had been, um, that were really dreamers that, that wanted to do something um, creative and passionate and had in, very often left other careers to you know, pursue this passion or given up bigger salaries. Um, so it I enjoyed the community of our customers, the community we were building and the community of the fellow winemakers um, who are really very generous. It's, it's a, especially in uh, Oregon where we had then moved uh, finally from California to Oregon again for wine, but it's a, um, a very close knit community. And I always enjoyed that. And um, the educational side of it. I, we were importing Burgundy and Champagne and we really, I really loved introducing people to the history, geology, the family stories of these small family producers in France. Um, so that was all the you know, that was all the passion and the dream and the excitement. And I know that a lot of people in food and beverage, um, I think we share this feeling of um, it, it's an honor to serve people. It, 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 feels, it can feel almost spiritual. Um, and that, that, I think we, that's a kind of common trait so that part was just, you know, it's an honor. It's a, it's, a, it's a gift to have done all that. But definitely the, the signs were starting to creep in that this wasn't sustainable for me. So, um, yeah, just some early, like I remember having a conversation with a woman in our tasting room. And so I would say this is the first of a kind of sign, something that I feel like I was maybe only in looking back on it, I feel like I was collecting signs, like picking up, you know, shells on a beach or something. But I, over time, you know, this, the, everyone's trajectory in this, um, in questioning their relationship with alcohol, I think, you know, happens over time. But so, so one of those first signs, I'm talking to a woman in our tasting room and we're chatting about how much we love wine and love coffee. And, you know, truly small talk, obviously. And I was saying something about, oh, it is that funny phenomenon when you wake up and you're sort of bleary eyed, you don't even know what day it is. And this thought pops in your head and you think, oh, goody, this is the part of the day where I get my coffee. I'm going downstairs to get my, you know, coffee and then work, 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 work all day. Don't think about it. And then in the late afternoon, get this other thought that pops into your head. Oh, yay. I love this. I get to, it's almost time to pour my wine. And 
I remember thinking that that just was kind of awesome. She said, oh my gosh, me too, exact same thing. And it's kind of pathetic, isn't it? And I just remember being taken aback, like, oh, is that pathetic? And I had no idea then that what I was really describing was dopamine, <laughs> reacted, you know, my reaction to dopamine and addiction. You know, I just, I, I wasn't aware. Um, so then in, um, you know, just the, I think the next thing that really stands out that I can remember in terms of these signals, this was a very big moment in my life. We, in, I think it was 2012, we had an intervention uh, for my mom in New Orleans. And it was a few years before she passed away. And she was very um, surprised. We'd all come in from different parts of the country. And um, she um, confessed that every, she, the, the way she put it was she said, every day of my life, for as long as I can remember, I have woken up and said, this will be the day that I stop. Wow. And I have my little hanky ready <laughs> because this just gets me so teared up. Um, it, it just, I thought it was heartbreaking. Really, she was, she would have been 74 or five, I'm not exactly sure, at the time. And she also admitted to some um, long-time untreated depression. So I felt really heartsick and sad about that. But I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't recognize it as true for me at that point. So again, this is like a signal that I'm just filing away somewhere. So Martha, just out of curiosity, like, because... This idea of intervention, I mean, I am so, I think I know what most people know is like, there's a TV show with that name and there's, you know, people who do that for other people. And um, so can you just take a segue and kind of describe like what prompted it? What did it look yes. like? Did you have to get outside help? What was kind yes. of the structure? Did it work? <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, yes. And the um this this is hard and i'm gonna get i'll get the hanky ready again um i really i've thought more thought certainly a lot about this and it's something that i'm incredibly excited about being a coach and having found you and your work in the world um we didn't know what we were doing just outright flat out we did not know what we were doing um, I, I, I think it's, it's just shocking to me looking back on it that, that we would go into that with so little, um, information, you know, just, I, what you've seen on TV or, you know, what is an inter intervention? When I look back on it now, what I would say is that all we were doing was coming together saying, we love you we're worried about your health. Your daily wine drinking is, um, makes, you know, it's your, what we really were worried about her health, but also it made her very negative. And, um, you know, it, if you happen to talk to her late at, at night, you know, maybe combative, but, um, but she was really um, always able to get you know, get herself up early in the morning. It was a very, for her age, was very active and did a lot of volunteer work. And so it was really just evening drinking um, wine. And so we we're concerned for her health. And um, we all told her the elements about her that we loved. I remember telling her that she was so um, incredibly um, bright and, and just smart. I'd always looked up to her for being 
um, so smart, having so many interesting things to say and interests in her life, and that I wished that we could have more conversation and that, you know, that, that alcohol did get in the way of that. And um, I, I know that we put her in touch with and helped her find a therapist. But just looking back on it, I really don't feel like we gave her the tools. I don't, we didn't know the tools ourselves. Of course, of course. So, um, so it didn't, um, it really wasn't effective. I think it was very briefly. And, um, and then, you know, drinking crept right back in. Um, it sounds like though, um, from what you're saying, at least, and knowing you, that it was absolutely done and conducted from an incredibly loving place. And she probably felt that. And so I think that's, I mean, again, like I hesitate to, to sort of give an opinion about something I've never experienced or I, I don't know personally myself. Um, and I, I haven't seen any studies on the effectiveness or, of interventions, which is, you know, interesting. Um, and I certainly haven't seen any that say, okay, here's the things that you need to do, um, which is also interesting. But, but I think one of the biggest dangers is one that you have avoided is having somebody feel criminalized without the love aspect, right? Right. Which right. is very cool. Yes. No, I definitely think um, that, that, you know, she, she knew we, that it was from a place of love. And I also think she, um, there was a lot of relief. I think there was a sense of relief that she kind of thought, I, I suppose I've known that this could have been coming. And so that probably, um, that is something that could make me feel, you know, a little better about it to know that yeah, there, there was for her an element of relief. Her response clearly shows that. Yeah. I mean, for her not to get defensive and say, yeah, <laughs> wanted to change this my whole life. Yes. And just haven't been able to. Um, is beautiful and, and really, really cool. And as you know, because um, we did it recently, but uh, Scott, who is our head of coaching at This Naked Mind and I, we've just recently recorded, and it's not available yet, but it will be soon, a four module, like just course on how to help a loved one and what to do in that instance, you know, and it's going to be so good. Oh, for coaches that is, you know, absolutely bless you. What a gift to the world. That's incredible. I can't wait to take all that in. I'll be especially interested for sure. Yeah. And it's all obviously um, based on, I mean, we went to the research first, like what, what works, what doesn't work, what <laughs> makes it worse, you know, stuff like that. And, and there isn't, there isn't a lot of research I could find on interventions, but I do think, you know, the idea of lovingly wanting to help somebody is so at the core of who we are. We just need the right tools, like you said. So anyway, carry on. But thank right. you for that segue. Right. I'm super curious. So um, then, you know, 2014, I feel like my, um, my drinking changed. And, um, and absolutely, up until this point, at, at some point, probably in 2011, 12, right in there, I, I absolutely was drinking every night our our, our wine imports, these, you know, unique, interesting, uh, high-end wines from Burgundy and Champagne um, were in the house all the time. It was, it was like being in a, um, you know, a wine shop, essentially. I mean, we even kept some of our, you know, case goods that we were selling, you know, here. So there was always wine around. But I think in 2014, the I guess what it felt like it shifted and there were three big things that happened. My mother passed away that year. And then we also had a business breakup. Uh, the winery that we had founded and had brought in a partner on, we had really begun to have different visions for the company. And that, that wine brand was so much a part of our identity, and, and especially, I, I can speak for myself, I, I felt that it was um, my identity and our, our, our baby and um, just so linked to who we were. And, and that, that business breakup was, um, was very painful. It felt personal at first. The amazing thing was to realize how quickly 
we recuperated and that, that it didn't last long, you know, like a lot of things in life that, that can feel so terrible, but we moved on in, in a great way. But it, at the time it felt very personal and painful and it came with financial stress, enormous financial stress. And um, I remember thinking that there were some days where it was just the, the money was a struggle. And then there was this sense at wine o'clock, well, at least this makes me feel like a million bucks. Um, it's the, the, the prestigious bottle and somehow this is making, um, making me feel you know better um, and the other thing that happened that year was our daughter started high school and suddenly she was gone for up to 12 hours a day between you know leaving early and then after school sports and i was struggling with my identity and my purpose i had wrapped up really everything in being a mom and um, just suddenly had a lot, of, I had more time on my hands and then just again, struggling with this identity, both as uh, what do I do if I'm not really needed all the time as a mom and with this um, business breakup, what, you know, who am I? Um, so the, what, what is kind of interesting because I've listened to so many podcasts is at that time, um, it wasn't that the amount ticked up in my drinking. I was always able to hold off at the two and a half to three glasses. And um, also because I'm in the industry, those of us in the industry really do know what a five ounce pour is, by the way. Right. <laughs> You're hyper aware of how much more, I was probably pouring like 13 or 14 ounces, which I mean, it's still like less than a 16 ounce cup of coffee, but like in, the just shape, I, yeah. I mean, literally, like I was, it was amazingly fast. How fast I could go through a single bottle of wine was like staggering, which is why I had to switch to boxes. Yes. But. <laughs> no, it is, it's very true. And the big, the glasses that all the restaurants use and that we see on TV, people don't realize that that will hold an entire bottle. Do you know that? Have you ever seen that poured? poured out, it's, it's actually a crazy party trick because people are astonished. They're like, really wouldn't believe that. Yeah, um, they, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. And one entire bottle will fit in those big glasses. So it is very um, deceptive and easy. Um, you could do that, that as like a YouTube video or something. Totally, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so it wasn't, so yes, very aware of what the two ounce tasting pour is in a tasting room and the my amount. So it was, it was not the amount um, that ticked up and for, t and, uh, but it was the importance to me. I could feel what, what felt like it changed was how important that nightly wine felt. Um, and, and how, um, how just, much of a habit it was. And um, I do feel like that my tolerance was actually going down. And I'm throwing that out there because maybe there's someone listening that will relate to that. Um, you know, I don't know if it's an age thing, but this actually for me started, I'm 51 now, this started happening in my 40s where I could feel alcohol hitting my brain just within sips. So I don't know what that is. I really wanna, you know, I'm gonna ask you to dig into that. You're good at sleuthing stuff out. Um, maybe William Porter can help us, but um, um, so, you know, and that was a strange thing. Having alcohol hit me faster, get to my brain faster, feel uncomfortable, but, but so committed to the habit that I'm powering through. I'm still drinking anyway. Um, so, you know, at that point, I, I absolutely was feeling symptoms and the symptoms were very much, um, I think the brain, I was really feeling like I was forgetting things. I was, um, worried about just the impact on, I was feeling um, brain foggy 
and just worried about some of the cognitive function and curious about that and, and you know, worried about that. Um, and definitely I'm trying, I don't really know at what point I started waking up in the middle of the night in that worry spiral um, that has you, you know, just reflecting on everything you did wrong during the day or a conversation with my teenage daughter and here's something I told her it was okay to do and now in the middle of the night I'm ruminating on why it's not okay for her to do it or vice versa something that you know I've said she really must do and now I'm saying that's a terrible idea I'm a terrible parent um, ruminating about conversations with people um, and making promises and and that that wake up uh, in the middle of the night also just and the worry felt always it did feel chemical I could sense that that it did have a chemical feel to it and um, I would absolutely make promises that I am I am not drinking today not not forever but I am not drinking today it's one of those things that like in hindsight like boggles my mind how like I still can't understand how two different humans almost seem to exist inside my own brain like how two different consciousness like you know that waking up and feeling like no there is something toxic here there is something wrong here I am like even if I didn't know the science I I knew like you were saying I was I knew I was hurting myself you know and being like like in that state of mind, there was no chance I was drinking again. So I felt so sure that I could make that promise because I was like, there's no way I'm going to forget this feeling. There's no chance I'm putting that in my body ever again. And then just hours later, that is like erased. Like it's not even there. It's like a mind boggling experience. That is right. Hours later, it is this very special kind of amnesia that by afternoon, You've completely forgotten that that promise or how bad it felt in the middle of the night and um, and you know just back to and I would make bad jokes you know from the movie airplane like oh looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue <laughs> you know just any anytime I'd make a promise I'm gonna stop drinking and then um, you know maybe my husband comes home with a great bottle and we had a big sales day and, um, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm back to drinking and, and really could always tell myself that I was, and again, this is why I kind of get back to the amount, um, because there might be other people out there that, that feel the same way. I'm absolutely, this isn't a problem. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm drinking, you know, the same amount or even less than the everyone I see around me um, or in this industry or, um, you know, this really isn't a problem. Um, and I, I, would, I would occasionally ask my husband, do you think I drink too much? Um, and crazier than that was asking our teenage daughter, honey, do you think I drink too much? Yes. I mean, imagine. Um, and I suppose it, it just gave me some kind of reassurance to have her, you know, have a, a more, you know, a positive response of, you know, I've, I've never seen you drunk or I, you know, um, that this is a, not a negative association in her mind anyway. And I remember thinking that I, I almost wish a doctor would tell me I have to stop. Um, but I, I remember resolutions. So in 2014, for the new year 2015, my husband, daughter, and I were uh, sitting around and reflecting on the year past and talking about the year ahead. And our daughter was the note taker. Well, we just found this in one of her old journals. And you can see her, you know, writing um, mommy's resolutions and reduced dependence on alcohol is how I put it. Um, and I had a few other things and, you know, I, none of them happened. Um, and then I, it went back on the list the next year and the next, and the next year after that for 20, um, 
18 and 2019, I, I didn't even put it, write it down. I didn't want to voice it. I, I think I just felt defeated um, on that and was also just convincing myself that, you know, it just wasn't really a problem. Um, and I just, you know, I think then finally there was a day that something broke through, a voice broke through and it said <laughs> that there is really only one question here that needs answering. And it's not about is, do you think my drinking is a problem or will the doctor tell me I'm, I need to stop or um, does our culture think that, you know, one or two glasses is healthy or not. And that the only question that needed to be answered was how do I feel? That's so and cool. It was, yeah, it was super profound. <laughs> that's amazing insight. And it's so, it's so interesting how we are, instead of asking ourselves, like we just, I don't know, the, such a fundamental, I always say this, like the, like I write a letter to everyone who is, um, comes to Denver to be part of this Naked Mind Live. And the letter is really like, look, the point of this event is to put you back in touch with you because there's never any wisdom that I'm going to have or anything that I'm going to be able to tell you that's like half as profound as like what you already know. You just need to remember, you know, it's not like we need to, we always talk about this, like we have to learn to love ourselves. We have to learn to trust ourselves. And I think like, no, we just have to unlearn all the BS that's keeping it from, from thriving because it's already there. And, and we just, we're so quick to compare like, you know, like you were saying, it's not as bad as other people in the industry. It's not as bad as this. I did that for so long, you know, and then um, I think in my journey, it wasn't until after I stopped drinking that it was very much like, okay, now I'm actually going to, but that's, I love that, that moment of like, wait, my opinion and how I feel matters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really profound moment. And it, and something that came along with that was a, a, just a determination that I alone was responsible for my happiness. Because one symptom that I didn't really say was that I was, I was worried about my brain. I was waking up in the middle of the night. I, I did a couple times a year get a very sharp stomach pain. And I say sharp because it just felt like it was in one spot in the stomach, like ulcer-like. I mean, I didn't have it diagnosed. We had really terrible insurance, and uh, but it would go away with you know the kind of Prilosec and stuff like that. But I, it felt like okay, this is something that comes from eating, you know, fatty foods and having wine and champagne. I don't know. It just um, so I would the stomach, but the, but more importantly, I feel like there was a um, dissatisfaction and restlessness about my life in general. I want to make a change. I don't know, quite know what it is. I really should be doing some other things. I should be writing. I should be, you know, my, my high school teachers would tell me, you are a writer. So this was a period of time where I'm, I'm questioning this and I keep feeling like I'm supposed to be doing something else. I should be writing my novel. I should be doing this. And, and there's a way to kind of almost blame other people. I would be able to do that if only um, we hadn't gotten into this business or if my husband did this or that, or if I hadn't left my other career to be at home with our daughter, whatever it is. So I, in retrospect, I realized I was making a lot of excuses. And I feel like, I do feel like the wine habit without ever questioning or being in control of wine, that was allowing me to argue for my limitations. I just was, I had a ton of ideas and I could never get any of them done. It, it was like, I just really lacked the, you know, the confidence and the motivation. Yeah. 
So true. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was the big breakthrough, but then still Annie, I was, um, well, one, I was terrified because I didn't really want to do this. I, I, um, I was terrified of losing my identity. I really loved being the, um, you know, wine lady hostess that hosts all these parties. I, I was really big on that. I was always trying to pull community together, get moms from the high school to get to know each other <clears throat> and, um, you know, build community, um, raise money. Same thing with church, with the nonprofit around the corner. I was always game for hosting a, you know, big event with um, wine and lots of appetizers and, you know, all under the guise of just getting to know each other. And um, I was, I think I felt terrified of losing that identity. Um, and, um, you know, maybe also losing, um, feeling like I was being disloyal to my industry, the, in the wine industry. Um, so, and then just being a, a general fear of, well, then life doesn't sound very fun. And this is, this is my, um, this is the sparkle and, you know, what's fun in life. So it was, it was absolutely terrifying to face the prospect of, of how to regain control or, you know, get alcohol out of my life. And um, I, you know, it was just this cognitive dissonance. I wanted to, and I didn't want to. And then um, I a chance encounter with an acquaintance um, and neighbor, and she turned me on to your um, alcohol experiment online. And uh, that was March of 2019 and it was life-changing to say the least just incredible um i couldn't believe that you, you were presenting something that absolutely removed the shame and stigma and that was the biggest thing and and the uh, the biggest it is interesting you always have to it's harder to think back on exactly what you felt than you would think but the big thing of feeling like I was alone. That was very intense because this was not something I had shared with friends. I had not shared this with, my, I'd never said to a single one of my dearest friends, I really feel like I'm drinking too much or I'm, I'm I, you know, feeling like I need to cut back, but I don't know how. I'd never said it to anyone in the industry for sure. So absolutely I felt alone until finding your program. Oh, I love that so much. It's so awesome. So awesome. And so how has life been since? <clears throat> I've done so much. Um, life is awesome since. Um, yes, you're, so your work, you know, just really is that groundbreaking and life-changing. So, so the way it went was the 30 days um, was for me um, just fantastic. I know, um, I know that the that really every, people benefit from it in so, so many ways, but um, some people have an easy go of it and some people it's, it's super challenging. And then they, you know, are discovering all these things. For me, it was um, besides some headaches in the very beginning, most of that month really did feel like a joy and a discovery. Um, you know, in general, there were, there were cravings. It was not, it it was not easy in that sense, but in terms of what I immediately sensed, all of that was um, like delicious. <laughs> you know, it was just, it, it, felt, it felt freeing, it felt exciting. And um, I felt energized by the material, all this cool sciencey stuff. I really respond to that. that. That absolutely resonates with me, all that learning and, being turned on to other authors and bodies of work and um, the, you know some some very profound different ways of thinking and the idea of our power over our thoughts so all of that was just incredibly energizing and it was undeniable 
how good I felt. Um, certainly even in ways that I didn't expect. Um, things like, uh, you talk about alcohol numbing our senses. And I really remember early, you know, in the 30 days, maybe in the second week, feeling like I had bionic vision or something. <laughs> you know, just... That's so awesome. Like, you know, I certainly didn't think I had any vision issues, but yeah, things, things feeling sharper in so many ways. Um, but to my husband and daughter, it was incredibly obvious that I felt motivated and energized and, um, and yeah, just stimulated. And, you know, a lot of the, this had been really missing for me. So then when you put out an email saying that your program and your body of work was taking its next gigantic step and um, that, that you wanted to, you know, spread this message and this, this work by certifying coaches, I totally jumped. I mean, I was so excited about that prospect. It just fit. It suddenly fit for me all this idea of the passion that I'd always had about educating people about something I'm passionate about, you know, going back to what I was doing that for the museum or doing that in the wine business, you know, so that educational piece of it, that serving piece of it, where I, you know, found that in the, you know, the food and beverage industry, this idea of being of service. And, um, and then just the, the concept of being able to help someone that might feel just like I felt, where you're feeling alone, you really don't want to admit that you're more hooked, you know, than you realize. And um, putting all that together and feeling like I can, I can, you know, help someone else get unstuck. It's incredible. So, so I, I went for it, um, you know, did, did the training and the certification and have set up shop as a sobriety, mindful drinking coach. And I just couldn't be more excited, you know, to offer the one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching. I'm doing a group right now that is so much fun. It's, um, it's dry January and we're meeting in our wine event space um, that we've used as our you know entertainment space all these years and um, I have a spread of mocktails each time we get together we're meeting weekly and so we're taste testing all these fabulous products that are springing up all over the country where you know people are trying to present beverages that are just you know more adult and sophisticated and you know um, special for special occasions. So we're taste testing and then we're just working through your book and um, just doing it in a way that's just supportive and fun and um, it's an experiment and whatever people decide, if they end up wanting to um, just continue drinking and just moderating or drinking with a new awareness, that's great. And um, some of them may just decide to stop, but they all were attracted to it for the same reason, feeling like they knew that there was something about their relationship with alcohol that just needed um, taking a closer look at. I love it so much. I love it. And I love that, you know, your, like your gift for hospitality is, is coming into this work, which is so great. So let me ask you um, our final question, Martha. And this is a question like, if you were going to go back and, you know, talk to yourself, the one that was basically indoctrinated into booze in the Big Easy and the one who um, was going through college and then opening a winery and feeling, you know, not knowing, but feeling like, yeah, this is the key. And then the intervention with your mom and you're just going to go talk to her about what life is like for you now. What would you tell her? I would absolutely tell her to um, ask ask questions, <laughs> uh, look, look more at this and ask, ask more, you know, 
questions and um, that there are, this doesn't have to be a default. This doesn't have to be the only way. There's throughout that history, there is clearly there's um, such a love of people and social events and being together. So I would just tell her to take a look at what really makes all of that special and fun and what is it that you really love about about all of that what is it that makes those events um, joyful and fun and celebratory for you yeah for sure so i love that so great so great well thank you so much this has been just so much fun and like i said at the beginning it's it's so cool to like not only have a story but then have a story that is you know you've you've decided to join this Naked Mind Institute and become a coach. And um, so where can people find you if they want to reach out and they're curious about, you know, your coaching services? Oh, that would be great. They can find me through my site, Clear Power Coaching. And um, that name um, is a great way for me to always reconnect with my why. Um, that is That is really what I was looking for before I found you, Annie, and that was, you know, the, the clarity and, and power. I really was um, feeling powerless. And that is hard, hard to, um, you know, it's kind of, it's still hard to admit how powerless I really did feel. Um, and so that is really what I would tell people is that really, to reclaim your intuition and voice. Um, just like you said, these things aren't something that we have to go find and um, establish. They're in us, but we do forget. So for me, it was really a matter of reclaiming my voice and inner wisdom. And that really is our power. Okay. So, um, yeah, that what what a treat to be able to talk to you about this. I'm so appreciative. Well, it's wonderful. What a great story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank right. you, Annie. Bless you for all that you do. All right. Bye, Martha. Bye. Are you ready for a deep dive and truly lasting change? If so, you might consider my intensive program. It's a nine-week self-led program that you can do in the complete comfort of your own home, and it will truly transform your relationship with alcohol. If you want to learn more about this, go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash intensive. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.